Decipher's weekly news podcast with input from our sources. This week, researchers said that Emotet malware had returned after a four-month hiatus in a high-volume malicious email campaign that has been observed since early November. The campaign contains several market differences that researchers say may reflect new operators or management behind the malware. Multiple changes have been made to both Emotet and its payloads, including the modules, loader, and packer. While the campaign emails contain Excel attachments, as previously observed in Emotet attacks, these Excel files now come with instructions for targets to copy the file to a Microsoft Office template location and run it from there instead. Changes to the Emotet loader itself include new commands in addition to the existing ones, for updating the bot and loading modules and executables. And post-infection, Emotet has also started dropping a new variant of the known Iced ID loader. This new version omits Iced ID's previous typical functionalities for exfiltrating system data, leading researchers to believe that the loader is being deployed to already infected machines where there is no need to check on a system profile. Sherrod DeGrippo, Vice President of Threat Research and Detection with Proofpoint, said that the malware has been seen being deployed in hundreds of thousands of emails daily. So Emotet had been missing since July 13th, and we saw it return on November 2nd. So that was a pretty big hiatus, but it's actually not that different than what we've seen from Emotet in the past when they take big breaks. So it started sending again uh, early November, and we've seen campaigns every couple of days since then. What's new with this latest return of Emotet? We've got new Excel attachments with different visual lures, um, some changes to the binary that it actually uses. It's dropping ICE ID, and it has a new, slightly lighter version of Emotet than we've seen in the past. We're also hearing that people are finding Emotet dropping Bumblebee, which is a modular downloader that can then lead to additional later stage payloads. Emotet's been doing a campaign just about every weekday since its return, and those campaigns are usually in the volume around hundreds of thousands of messages. In the past, we've seen Emotet get up to volume in the millions a day, and I have a feeling that hundreds of thousands is about where it's going to baseline for this current return. Other things that are interesting about this new return of Emotet is that we've seen high volumes to the United States, the UK, Japan, Germany, Italy, France, Spain, Mexico, Brazil, and others. And a lot of these are localized, so they're local language. They're, um, in some regards, specific language to that country. We've also seen Greek as well, which is one that we haven't seen in the past. Italian, Spanish, these lures all are in the local language and contain an attachment that is a zip file that you open and then you get Emotet. In some instances, the, pa- the zip file is also password protected, and in truly secure fashion, the password is listed in the body of the email. In other news this week, two vulnerabilities were disclosed in the popular F5 Big IP appliances. One of these can lead to remote code execution in some instances, and another bug can allow code execution for authenticated users. 
F5 has not released updated software versions to address the flaws, but it has developed hotfixes that customers can request. The two flaws impact many versions of the F5 appliances, and researchers with Rapid7 discovered them and developed exploitation methods for them. The more serious of these two flaws include a cross-site request forgery bug in the big IP software. Finally, this week, Dan Lawrence, CEO and founder of ChainGuard, joined Dennis Fisher from Decipher to talk about supply chain security, asset inventory, and the challenges of helping developers write more secure code. The following is a clip from the podcast, which can be found on Decipher's website. SolarWinds, obviously, was the first big attack, but one year later, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of that again, so two years from the original one, uh, was Log4j, the Log4Shell vulnerability that was found. Um, It's about worst-case scenario vulnerability in an incredibly widely used um, component uh, that was about as easy to exploit with the most severe exploits possible, you know, kind of worst-case scenario from a vulnerability perspective. And... um, it kind of ruined most folks' holidays last year. I'll say anybody <laughs> struggling with that asset inventory problem. And, you know, this is where Asbomb can help, right? You might know you have some package, but you don't know if Log4j is in there um, or specifically the right version. So everybody was manually scraping code and running diagnostics and everything they could possibly do. Uh, and they fixed everything they could find, right? You know, there was a report from CISA saying, you know, everybody patched stuff, they did a big audit and they weren't aware of any massive impact from it, even though people were racing around the clock against attackers. Yeah. But just today, I think, you know, I saw a headline, um, you know, somebody was running an old version of a VMware package that uh, attackers were actually able to find, run the log for shell exploit mm-hmm. on, um, at a pretty sensitive federal government um, organization, and then use that to steal credentials, move around inside, and install crypto mining software, all the fun stuff that attackers love to do. Yep. So I think like this is, somebody described it as endemic. I think that's probably the best way to do it. It's a great um, word, yeah. It's in enough places that it's on the list of things attackers are going to try every single time. And it doesn't have to work every time, but you know, I for the next decade, we're going to still be seeing folks running on patch versions. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Source Code Podcast. While you were hacking the planet.